Welcome back, warriors. Tansei Sego Anibuju. Kwe Nin Deloisi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and governing practices. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And today we're continuing with the Reconciliation Book Club series, which was originally shared on my YouTube channel. These are extended reviews of books written by Native authors and allies about important issues facing our nations. Last week, I shared Unsettling Canada by the late Arthur Manuel and received lots of great comments. Thank you all so much for liking, commenting, and sharing these podcasts. The Warrior Life podcast is focused on lifting up the voices of all the amazing Native warriors out there whose stories help educate and inspire us into action for social justice and earth justice. We are 100% listener-supported through Patreon and t-shirt sales, which helps me keep my content entirely independent. So thank you all so much for your continued support. This week, I'm sharing my review of A National Crime by Dr. Peter Bryce. This is a free downloadable PDF online, and like always, I will post the link in the description box below. Now, let's get right into the review. Today we're going to be reviewing a very unique book. It was written by a Canadian almost a hundred years ago and published in 1922. The author of the book is Dr. Peter Henderson Bryce, and during his lifetime, he didn't get the recognition that he deserved for the work that he did, and it turns out that he's a very special person. The full title of his book is The Story of a National Crime, Being an Appeal for Justice to the Indians of Canada, the Wards of Our Nation, the Allies in Our Revolutionary War, and Our Brothers in Arms in the Great War. But for the purposes of this book club video, I'm just going to refer to it as a national crime. Now, I got my edition online, I think it was about $10, but I also, in the last video, posted a link. There's a a scanned PDF version that you can access for free online and I posted a link there and I'll post a link again under this video in case you didn't get a chance to read it already. Now this re-released version was actually published by BioLife and they describe themselves as a company that wants to make knowledge more accessible to the public and one of the things that they do is try to reprint or republish some of these more historical documents into books so that we can access them in live libraries and online like we're doing right now. So the author of the book is Dr. Peter Henderson Bryce and he was a medical doctor and he wrote about his observations about the medical conditions and the health conditions in Indian residential schools and the many, many deaths of the Native children in there. And thank you to the First Nations Child and Family Caring Society for posting information sheets about Dr. Bryce and other information and reports that were being submitted at the same time so that we have a greater insight into who was Dr. Peter Bryce. 
He was in fact a leader in his own medical field, having written the first health code for Canada in 1884. So this was a medical doctor who was very knowledgeable, very well respected, an expert in his own particular field of study, which was on the disease and the prevention of tuberculosis. So that signifies that as an author, he has a great deal of credibility that we should consider when reading his book. Well, this is not the typical book that you would normally find in a library. This is also a book that represents a whole culmination of work that Peter Bryce had done over the years, primarily in the form of reports and submissions that were made to the federal government during his role um, as a medical expert. Now, according to the information that the First Nation Child and Family Caring Society provided about Dr. Bryce, he, one of the many reports that he wrote was one that he wrote in 1907 about some of the residential schools in Manitoba and the Northwest Territories, which focused on the conditions within those residential schools and the medical conditions of the children in those schools. And he noted how terrible the conditions were and the high death rates, but he didn't stop there. He also made it clear in his previous reports about who was responsible, that it was the federal government and church officials who were running these schools who were responsible to address these impoverished conditions that were creating such a health crisis in these schools. But he didn't stop there. He went further and made recommendations on how they could stop the spread of tuberculosis and help prevent these needless deaths in residential schools. When there was no action, he didn't stop there. There was lots of media attention at the time on some of the reports that he was writing about the deaths in residential schools. None of this had to happen had they just followed some of his recommendations. Despite being made personally aware of the many deaths of native children in residential schools, the Superintendent General of Indian Affairs, Duncan Campbell Scott's response is nothing less than shocking. And I'm quoting here from his correspondence that he made referring to the high rates of deaths in residential schools. This does not justify a change in the policy of this department, which is geared towards a final solution of our Indian problem. I think this part of our collective history and of the political context at the time is very important to understanding why Dr. Bryce felt that it was so important to publish this book, uh, The Story of a National Crime in 1922. Now in terms of structure, this book isn't written like your normal academic or history book, for example. It is written more like a report that he would have done in a more formal or official circumstance, and this is no surprise because he spent his career writing these kinds of reports to government officials. So it's very formal in that context. And because it's so very focused on this issue, you don't get a whole lot of detail on the, you know, the social or cultural context, political and legal or other context. He's really writing about this very specific situation about the horrid conditions in residential schools, which is leading to the spread of tuberculosis and the numerous deaths, preventable deaths, of Native children in those schools. Now, the book is only 18 pages long. However, despite its brevity, it's a very important insight to Canada's genocide machine and just how powerful it was 
even in the face of those who were speaking against the crimes that were being committed against our people. Now we learn in the first few pages of his book that he was actually conducting research on the health conditions of Native people in general and gathering statistics. He used those statistics and reported to the government on an annual basis. Now, like I said, his book reads more like a report, and it's kind of a chronology through time about the activities that he was engaged in. You know, researching the health conditions of Native people, the, his inspections of different residential schools in different provinces, and the reports, findings, and recommendations that he was making to the federal government. And the interesting part about this book, which makes it so um, interesting for history fans, is that he includes quotes from correspondence. So he includes uh, all excerpts of letters that he might have written to a government official, the response from the government official, all of the dates, and sometimes his expression of frustration around the lack of action for addressing these terrible conditions and the increasing deaths of Native children in residential schools. You know, there are times when I can just imagine what his frustration must have been, you know, writing these reports and making recommendations and trying to get someone in government to take action, only to have tremendous delays in responses and people not take action. And in fact, there are parts of the book where you can read his frustration about what he calls government inertia on what he considers such an urgent issue. So in terms of my review of the book, I consider it a very strong book, as brief as it is, because I think it was written in a specific time for a very specific purpose, and it was meant to act as an expose about the crimes that the government was committing, literally, against Native children, and that's why it's called the story of a national crime. Oftentimes, history books can be written with hundreds and hundreds of pages, lots of detail, lots of political and cultural context, you know, over a large time period. But that's not what this was about. This was really about the issue of children dying from tuberculosis and other uh, impoverished conditions in these residential schools and the need for government to take action and not taking action. I think this is a valuable historical document because it really highlights, when you read all of the correspondence, that Canada knew what was happening in those residential schools, that Canada made a conscious choice not to stop the deaths, and that Canada is culpable for the genocide that it has been found guilty of in more recent years. He even references Canada's treaty obligations to provide education to First Nations people for the purposes of making us, you know, more prosperous. And nowhere in the treaty or in the spirit and intent of the treaties was it ever imagined that Canada would create the conditions that they would force a certain type of education on our people that would actually lead to the deaths of thousands of our children. I mean, that is just beyond what the treaties had envisioned. And I think he makes a very effective case, even in just these 18 pages, about Canada's culpability for the crimes that it has committed. He left us with a very important historical book that gives us an inside look into what's happening behind the scenes in the federal government that was behind the deaths of all of these Native children in a way that other historical books at the time or that came later haven't done. And I'm going to quote from him here because he points out that Natives were an unusually strong 
native race, that our babies at birth were large and sturdy, and that generally we had a low mortality rate. And think about what that means, because that means that Canada's genocide machine had to work overtime to try to counter those strengths in our people to achieve their ultimate goal of, quote, getting rid of the Indian problem or the final solution of getting rid of the Indian problem. I mean, they had to work so hard, not just to create the conditions that would lead to our deaths, but to maintain those conditions over so many years to have such a massive impact on our population. This book delivers a really hard message, but it is a necessary one if we're going to understand the truth of our collective history. A lot of people reacted very negatively towards the National Inquiry into Murder to Missing Indigenous Women and Girls finding that Canada has been guilty of both historic and ongoing genocide, but this book is another insight that shows Canada was in fact guilty at that time of what should have been considered manslaughter or some other criminal uh, offense, and in fact, all of it taken together is genocide. I really like this book for another reason, for the bravery of the author, knowing all of the external events that happened, knowing that despite being the foremost leader in, in medicine at the time, writing the health code, despite being an expert in tuberculosis and someone that should have been listened to to prevent the deaths in residential schools, uh, he was pushed out of the government. He was pushed out and uh, not appreciated or recognized for what he was trying to do. But it was because he was pushed out that today we are able to read this book because he writes in his epilogue that he feels badly that he didn't publish this information sooner than 1922, but because he was an employee of the federal government, he was bound by confidentiality and couldn't release any of that information. So when they pushed him out, that gave him the ability to share this information, which is now a critical part of our history in understanding what happened and how, and actually who's culpable. We know that residential schools was part of Canada's larger genocidal plan, but it really helps to have an inside view from someone who was a federal government employee for so long, was held in such high esteem, was considered an expert, and had literally first-hand knowledge, actually went into residential schools, did inspections, collected health data on Indigenous peoples. So he knew above anybody else what was going on, and he also knew who was responsible. While I usually include a critique of the books that I review here on this Reconciliation Book Club, this isn't really the book for that. This is more of a report. It's more of an expose about what Canada did behind the scenes knowingly that led to the deaths of Native children in residential schools. And I think the book needs to stand on his own that way. However, if I had one critique, I wish he had had more time and resources to be able to make the book uh, longer document all of the reports that he had ever written into one place, for example, but that's really just a wish list kind of thinking. Um, some of his material is available in historical documents, and I think we need to appreciate this, this book for what it was. It's a really damning expose on Canada and its genocide machine. Overall, I consider this to be a 
great book. I consider it to be an act of bravery. I think it's someone who was compelled to act, to try to push, to try to make change. And I think it stands as a strong example of what Canadians can do with their education. Don't just educate for the sake of education or getting a job or knowing interesting things. Educate for action. Educate for the purposes of taking action to address social injustice, earth injustice, and to end genocide and violence against Indigenous peoples all over Turtle Island, but especially here in Canada. And I want to thank Dr. Bryce and his family for his bravery, for speaking out at a time when he likely knew that this would be the end of his career, but he knew at the time that ending the violence against Native children, preventing these deaths, were, was far more important than anyone's career, and that's a significant sacrifice to make, and I thank him and his family for the bravery and the honor that he showed. So let's move on to some of the questions and comments from some of our Reconciliation Book Club members. Miles said that he is thankful for the opportunity to learn and that he read the book and felt that an entire PhD thesis could have been written about the contents that were in those 18 pages. He says that it really shows then, as it does now, the deception in our leaders. And I think he makes an important point. Thanks, Miles. I totally agree with you. Nothing is more frustrating than to hear leaders come out and give flowery speeches and make nicely worded promises, but then don't take the action to end the injustice, to end the breach of human rights, and to end the genocide against our people. Now, Valerie P. Peters writes, it seems that a hundred years ago, Indigenous peoples had an ally in Dr. Bryce. Sadly, it was not enough to make a difference to the health of the Indians at the time. I was struck by some of the language in this reading. A few phrases are, grow in wealth and intelligence, wards of the government, references to Indians as colonists, and references to control and authority over Indians. Different words in more modern times, but carrying the same import. Once again, thank you, Pam, for your choice of reading for this month. And thank you, Valerie, for continuing to leave your comments and sharing with everyone who's participating in this book club. For anyone who wants to read the full commentary by any of the excerpts that I'm reading here, just look at the comments that are in the description box below the last month video. Now, Cluster Together also expressed deep concern about what was read in the book, and I'll read in part. Read the story of a national crime. The most shameful, but not surprising at this point revelation is the lack of humanity shown by the government. And thank you, Cluster Together. I really appreciate how you went on to leave more commentary that linked the issues that are raised in his book with the issues in the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal decision about Canada's ongoing non-compliance to end racial discrimination in funding against First Nations children in foster care. Because we all know that the foster care system is just the modern day version of residential schools and there are far more kids in foster care today than were in residential schools. So Canada is continuing on with its genocidal policies and it's not even complying with its own court cases to end the racial discrimination. So that's a very important 
important point that's being made. Thank you so much. And that's all for the final book review of 2019. Thank you all for joining me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the efforts and the comments and the questions that you send me. Please keep them coming. And also don't forget to send me your suggestions for books. Now, for those of you who want more resources to look at outside of this book club, go to my website, www.pampalmeter.com, and I have a list of my own publications, as well as other resources and reports that you can read. You can check out my Warrior Life podcast, where I interview incredible, amazing warriors out there doing good work um, to help strengthen our nations, revitalize our cultures, and decolonize this relationship with Canada. And you can also read my political blogs on Indigenous nationhood. Now, what you've all been waiting for is to find out what is the next book that I'm reviewing. Well, the next book that I'm reviewing is published by Fernwood Publishers. It's called Policing Indigenous Movements, Dissent and the Security State, and it's written by Andrew Crosby and Jeffrey Monaghan. Now, this is a very important book. It's taking us in a little bit of a different direction. It's bringing us right back into today and what's happening and how the Canadian state criminalizes Indigenous people. And what I'll do is I'll put a link to where you can get this book below in the description box. And thanks again to Fernwood Publishing for supporting this book club. Thank you all for tuning in to the Warrior Life podcast. Last week, I made a mistake and said we'd be reviewing policing Indigenous movements this week, but it's actually next week. Sorry about that mix-up. But I hope you enjoyed today's review of A National Crime by Dr. Peter Bryce. He was a real leader who was smeared and ousted from the government for raising the alarm bells on the many deaths in residential schools. Tune in next week for the next Reconciliation Book Club episode, Policing Indigenous Movements. It's a great book, and it's fairly easy to read and pretty short. It's a great book. Don't forget, you can always access all of my videos, podcasts, blogs, publications, and books, as well as my Patreon and Warrior Life clothing shop, all from my website, www.pampometer.com. And don't forget, this fall, I'm accepting applications for authentic Indigenous businesses and ethical allies to sponsor individual episodes of this podcast. Just send me a note through the contact page on my website, or contact me at PamelaPalmeter at gmail.com. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliug.